People of God, we are looking this afternoon at an aspect of faith. And I want to begin by asking you, do you believe that our lives, our lives right here, right now, are influenced by invisible things? Colossians 1.15 speaks about the invisible God. And then it says, too, all things created visible and invisible. And so things were created that are invisible. And the question is, do you think that our lives in the visible world are influenced by invisible things? Some people feel invisible things are not real. If you can't see it, it's not real. If you can't feel it and touch it and taste it, it it doesn't exist, really. Invisible things cannot affect us. And they would even say, do not talk to me about invisible things. Talk to me about real things that I can see and touch. Some people do believe in invisible things. Many do not. So this afternoon I want to begin by telling you about an invisible presence, an invisible power that in fact all people believe in. People in the church and people outside the church. Christians and non-Christians alike. A belief in an invisible force, an invisible presence an invisible power that affects all of our lives daily and even influences how we think and how we act and how we talk and how we relate to each other. It's an invisible power that causes us to treat some people well and some people not well. All because we all firmly believe and live in fear of this invisible thing. Before the year 1850, people had no inkling of this invisible world that affects us all. Even the brightest minds, the smartest people, had no clue about this invisible world until Louis Pasteur, a French chemist, stated that there was an entirely invisible world of germs and microbes that cause disease. People laughed at him. Ha ha! You're crazy. I don't see any. They thought he had lost it. He was talking about invisible things that don't exist. Tiny, invisible microbes, impossible. He was the first to realize. He was the first to see with the eye of faith, first of all, a world of microbes that became germ theory. Now we have microscopic evidence of these germs. Do we have them here? Here they are. 
We can see them now. Germs and microbes and things. But then they didn't. And he was working out of the reality that of his five children, three died of typhoid. And, and he, he had to say, there's something, there is something here that is making this happen. Though I cannot see it, it has to be there. And so that was one of the driving forces. And then he also worked with the medical community. And the medical community at that time, the doctors would do operations. They would operate on someone. And then when they were done, they would go and operate on someone else. And they would hardly wash their hands or their instruments at all. They would just, because everything was fine, you couldn't see anything. Transmission of germs and disease. And there's even stories where they, they went and worked on a cadaver, a, a dead body for a while, did an autopsy, and then they came back and worked on a living person for a while, and, and they didn't, had no idea. No idea. Until Pasteur came along and named the invisible world. He said there are invisible organisms you cannot see. They carry disease. They're carried in the wind. They're passed on by the touching they live in food. They live on different surfaces. They have a huge impact on us and on our world. And in fact, they are everywhere, and they threaten to hurt us, and they even kill us. And so all of the disease that was spread, like typhoid, yeah, hurting, killing people. Some people believed Pasteur. Some doctors began washing their hands and they saw a significant improvement in their work. People they worked on didn't die. They lived. Wow. And, and uh, the residual of that has even been for us to live in a much healthier environment. In that sense, Pasteur saved many lives with this identification of the invisible world. And Yet at the time and through the years, many for a long time thought he was crazy. He was talking about things that didn't exist when in fact he was bringing a message of life and hope. Today we believe. Everyone believes. We believe there's an invisible world that impacts our visible world and it affects us. We wash our hands. We have all around us soaps and cleaners. The antimicrobial soap is our friend. When I joined August and Peter in Mexico, I had five little bottles of hand sanitizer. We know this is real. This is what's out there. We have flu vaccines. When we go on cruise ships, my cousin went on a cruise, washed their hands morning, noon, and night. Because <laughs> you know this Norwalk virus thing going around. We live, we act, our whole thinking, our whole perception, our actions change. If someone is there who's coughing and hacking, we don't get too close to them. We know. And if someone is fine, we'll come up to them and we treat people differently based on what we understand. This whole world affects us. Now, one possible application of this understanding is also that we change our behavior here 
I want just to suggest it to you, but at a certain point, as a church, we'll have to see Peter, a council, bring it up that we change from a handshaking church to a fist-bumping church, right? Yes, indeed. Where you don't shake hands anymore, little fist bump. In New Life, I mentioned it this morning, and there's a lady there who works at the research station here in Lacombe, food safety, microorganisms. Yes, she said, yes. That's what we need to do. Because as I'm standing there shaking your hands, <coughs> Pastor Mike, good morning, good morning. And then I pass that on to the next person and next person. I feel bad. I think I should wear gloves. Put a glove on, shake your hand, take it off. Another glove on, shake your hand. There, there is this whole world. And we, we are reminded of it. We are thinking about it. We are trying to live within it. But we don't see anything. You never, ever, ever see these germs. Apart from, yeah, microscopes and, and electron microscopes. To take that reality of something we understand to God's word that says to us there is another invisible world. Many people do not believe in this spiritual world. A God who is invisible. A faith, a spiritual life that is Invisible. As well as, to make uh, the analogy more precise, there is an evil presence of sin in this world that threatens to hurt us, that threatens to kill us, body and soul. And just talking about sin itself, it affects us. That, that germ, that that infection of sin. It impacts our thinking and our attitude so that a young woman will think I'm ugly based on the sinful sense of this world when in fact they are beautiful, made in the image of God. But that beautiful image is, is, is killed, is hurt, is damaged by the sin in this world. The influence of sin affects us, our, our financial choices, our marriages, how we do our business. Greed enters in and things begin to deteriorate. It's our spiritual selves that are attacked like sin germs and sin will kill us. It'll kill our joy. It will kill our joy. It will kill our peace when we are wondering this is not right. Will I get caught? What's going on? It will kill our hope. It will cause us to deny God, to deny grace, and to deny Jesus. It's an invisible world that's all around us and impacts everything we do, our faith. And yet, as we talk about it as Christians to other people, they say to us like they said to Pasteur, you're crazy. What are you wasting your time with? Why are you in church? Why are you reading the Bible? It's, it's just an old book. There's nothing there. 
there's no God, what are you wasting your time with? Just like Pasteur, where they said, you're crazy. It's not there. It's invisible. The refusal to see, Colossians 1 verse 15, the invisible that God has created, that God is there, that God is present, and that he comes into a world that has been compromised by sin and that he comes to save. People today think they are so very smart, so very advanced. But in a way, those who deny faith, deny God, they, they are as naive as those who said to Pasteur, there's no such thing as microbes and germs. Don't bother us with that. So we continue to proclaim that there is an invisible world that impacts our visible world every single day. This invisible world is God's presence and power as described in the Bible. We are among those who hold to that truth. And the one picture that I want to especially touch on this afternoon is the picture given in Psalm 110. It shows us something we cannot see. It shows Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Jesus seated at the right hand of God. That's the picture Psalm 110 is painting. As real as us sitting in the pew, sitting in a chair, Jesus is sitting there. Jesus seated at the right hand of God is a a picture of, of God's presence and power that he has worked through Jesus Christ. In his life, Jesus, a lot like Pasteur, warned against the reality of sin and death. He pointed it out everywhere in terms of sickness and and rebellion against God. He, He did in his death win the victory over sin so that we can say that we are cleansed in him. He has washed away our sin. Sin cannot kill us anymore. That's what we believe. We are saved when we put our faith in Jesus, when we confess our sin and the need of a Savior. And Jesus continues to work to bring full redemption to this world, to overcome all the residual presence and power of sin. Jesus is running a hospital, as it were, for the sin-sick soul. And that's called a church. That's the mission, the ministry, the message we bring. So the question is, do you see him as your savior, as the savior of this world? To see him with the eye of faith, to see him in Psalm 110, seated in power, overcoming the enemy. Spreading the gospel is like going to people, telling them about germs and that they need to be cleansed. We go to people and say, you need to be washed. Not washing your hands, but washed in the grace of God, in the power of the Spirit. Be baptized. Have a new life, a new reality in faith in Christ. That message of the gospel, that picture of Jesus, was an especial comfort to the early church. People in the New Testament really took hold of that comfort. And I can ask you this afternoon too, what is your favorite psalm? Some of you have a favorite psalm? 
If I asked you, what's your favorite psalm? Could you answer that? It's nice to have. If it's not right there, think about it. Some say, yeah, Psalm 23, beautiful, or Psalm 46, or Psalm 42, the deer. If you'd ask one of the disciples, if you'd ask one of the people in the early church, they'd say, Psalm 110. And we would look at them and <laughs> say, what? Psalm 110? They would say Psalm 110. That would be their favorite. We know that because in the New Testament, it's the most quoted psalm. Comes up over and over. As if it's constantly on the mind, in the hearts of the people. It's a picture, it's a vision, it's something they see clearly. They have it always before them. Jesus seated at the right hand of God. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Psalm 110 verse 1. God said to Jesus after raising him from the dead, sit here. All power, all authority is his. That reality is expressed in the New Testament in all kinds of places. Just three examples. The first, Jesus himself seeing that as his uh, place when he um, speaks his last word to his disciples, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18. He is really quoting Psalm 110 when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Psalm 110. There he is, Jesus, the Mighty One, our Savior. When you think about uh, the early church, Peter, on Pentecost Sunday, as, as he is there speaking to the crowd as the Holy Spirit is poured out, in Acts 2 it's recorded there that the Spirit is poured out and, and people gather and Peter stands up to say something to this crowd. This, this group of people who have killed Jesus and he says that to them. He said, you killed the Savior. You didn't see. You were blind. You didn't recognize what God was doing. And then he picks as a text for his sermon, Psalm 110. And we read it as our call to worship. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And the people listening who had taken Jesus and nailed him to the cross who had said, we don't believe at all, suddenly saw that that invisible truth, that picture, Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, and 3,000 believed. Psalm 110 took hold in their life. What had been invisible before suddenly became visible to them. They were cut to the heart, and they were saved from their sin and welcomed into the church. The Apostle Paul touches on Psalm 110 in various places as well, just to share one with you from Ephesians 1, where it says in verse 19 and following, regarding Jesus, the risen Lord, as the power of God has been worked out in him, that power is like the working of God's mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, 
and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So that's the sense of Jesus seated on the throne. And then it adds from Psalm 110, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's the picture that they go forward with. That's the confidence in this world. You don't, you don't see it. It's invisible. But you know by the eye of faith that it's there. Lord's Day 19 also picks up on exactly that picture when it comments on Jesus ascending to heaven and it adds what a comfort that is, such a comfort to us. When we know that Jesus is there reigning, then we feel better. When we know our loving Savior is the one in charge of all things, the one who has all power and authority, Lord's Day 19 is expressing the wonderful comfort of our faith. How do we take hold of that comfort even more? To continue to grow strong in faith. It's the opposite of of the Pasteur story. Louis Pasteur pointed to an invisible world and then using microscopes and things, we actually saw it. We actually saw it. And if you go and you can see, you can actually see that that microscopic world. With the eye of faith, we can see beyond a telescope. The telescopes we have look far, look high, but they won't see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. But people have seen it. Acts 7, with the eye of faith, the deacon Stephen, says this, Acts 7, verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and then he expresses it. He says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He saw that faith. He saw that truth clearly. And in that confidence and hope, he died at the hands of people who said, no, we don't see it. And still today, there's people who say, we don't see it, we don't believe. But we, with the eye of faith, see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. And what a comfort that is as we go forward in our lives, as we continue to live each day in the confidence of our faith, that that as we take hold more and more of our Lord, as we more and more enter into the wonder of His grace, that this is the reality for us, the reality that we live in and the reality that we bring as hope to this world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the wonder of your grace in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have given us the eye of faith, that we would see you and your goodness worked out in Jesus, and that as we read, too, from your word, we recognize it as the truth describing to us that world that is is invisible, the spiritual world, but is so very real. And again, in this day, to be reminded of the wonder of your love 
and of you, Lord Jesus, reigning and ruling over all things. We pray that in our hearts and lives, too, you would grant us that comfort, that assurance, that hope, that confidence of faith, and that we would go forward each day knowing your presence and power and trusting in you to work in us, to forgive us when we sin, to guide us by your word and spirit, and to fill us, too, with the hope and joy and thankfulness that only you can give. Continue to be our good and gracious God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.